1: The cat sat on the Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. A traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, Steve Grasso and Guy Adami. Uh, Tonight on Fast, Bitcoin sinking below $9,000, nearing a crucial level. And it might be the altcoins that start stealing the show. A top Bitcoin and blockchain investor will be here to explain how his company is going all in. Plus, famed short seller Andrew Left taking aim at the streaming giant Netflix. But one of our traders says Left has got it all wrong. But first, we start off with the amazing... AMAZING RACE. BOTH APPLE AND AMAZON HITTING FRESH ALL-TIME HIGHS AS THE TWO BIG PLAYERS RACE TOWARD TRILLION-DOLLAR MARKET CAPS. APPLE AROUND 920 BILLION, BUT AMAZON NOT FAR BEHIND AND MOVING IN AT A FAST PACE AROUND 775 BILLION RIGHT NOW. So. Who will cross that finish line first, and which stock is your best bet if you are putting fresh money to work right now, Guy? Hi, Mel.
0: Well, the chalk Hi. play is obviously Apple. You said a 920, so is that eight or nine percent away? But I'll go non-chalk and say Amazon. I mean, I think Amazon to me has the biggest <laughs> moat, is the most disruptive. Not to again cast dispersions as we no, said earlier. No, we don't like to, do, don't that want guy to do that anywhere. That, it's not about on this that. show or others. But I'll go with Good Amazon. Point. I just think the way the way they're attacking the entire planet right now in terms of disrupting industries. Puts them in a driver's seat.
1: What do you say?
2: So I think the the numbers speak for themselves. I think you have to go with with Apple. It's closer, even though I just because yeah.
1: it's closer. Yeah, I think it it's could closer.
2: I,
3: but but it could stall. They
2: but they could I be feeling... buying
3: back stock, though, Steve. They could be getting.
2: You they know, are. Take, well, they, they are. And and I and I do number. believe I do believe you'll start to see if you go back five years. There's a gross outperformance of Amazon. Amazon's up over 500%. Mm -hmm. Apple's up over 200%. So if you go with that historic data, then you're going to go with Amazon. But if you're going for that benchmark of a certain round number, then I think you stick with Apple. I think Apple could play catch up even though momentum is still on Amazon's side.
4: Well, for me, listen, I I looked at it this morning and said, which of these two would I want to put a new dollar into? And all I did is I went and I looked at my technical analysis book. I looked for triple tops. I couldn't find any, then looked at the Apple stock. There's two peaks. This one's going higher. So I would go with Apple. No Mm. such thing as triple tops. They don't write
3: about them for a reason. Mm well I mean, again the question here is also something about time horizon so I think at the short term I have to disagree with my um, Steam Amazon panelists. friends, esteemed yeah. panelists um, there's no question at 930 billion versus 720 billion Apple's going to get there first um, but when I think about what Amazon is doing in the grocery space uh, I think it's a massive massive thing for uh, their entire product carriers I think it's a halo effect for their whole business model if you listen to a couple analysts they're going to have 900 billion in North America uh, revenues top line by 2028 that's a number out of wolf Read the report today. But you know, no matter what's going on here, Amazon is taking market share from everybody. They'll be taking market share from, from, from Apple at some point. Short run, it's going to be Apple. They have a lot they can do with this balance sheet right now, by the way, with, with this tax return and with bringing money offshore back onshore.
1: So Apple on this side. Apple on
3: this side, yeah.
1: Supposedly they're going to uh, introduce three or so new phones in the next year or so. Is that going to be a catalyst or is that going to be a bad thing?
3: Bothers Dan Nathan, you know, right? I mean, yeah. I, I, no. But, he, but he, and he's rightly talked about that. That this is not necessarily the Steve Jobs model. Um, but I think ultimately, uh, a lot of people are starting to worry about all the SKUs at Apple. And and really, if you think about their last product, the big release on the 10, it hasn't been all that.
0: what do you think? Look, I think, again, what what company has the biggest motor? It's least likely to be disrupted. And I keep coming back to Amazon. Obviously, listen, Apple is within $80 billion or so of getting to a trillion. It's probably going to get there. But if you're looking for the the dark horse in this race, you know, Apple could falter over the next month or so and stay here, where Amazon, you know, the trajectory has been from the lower left to the
2: upper right.
1: What does it say about these two stocks in particular that they outperform significantly the markets in today's session? Yeah.
2: I think when the market goes up, just by, the, just by the beasts that these two stocks are, money drives into these names. So people still want to, want to go into the performers of tech, even off the bottom. People are looking for those laggers to outperform. They don't do it. They haven't done it in two years. They haven't done it in three years. They're probably not going to do it this time around. And I think it garners the most amount of new money in the technology but, but, space. Plus you have it driven by the semiconductor spaces on fire. So that
3: all feeds into the beast. Well, I agree with that. I mean, again, it, the harder they go up, the harder they fall. And if you, if you look at the market that's coming back here, it's very difficult to say that the market has still got a, a whole lot of good going for it in the short to medium term. Um, Amazon, all these things we just said. Right. But, I mean, these stocks have totally outperformed. problem is, so right? you, yeah. look, you
2: look at a stock – When I first started looking at Amazon, I I didn't really understand the valuation metrics. It was $190, and every time you bet against the stock, it's $1,600 now. It's up 36% year-to-date, and the stock, if you look at the chart, there's nothing there it says bearish to me nothing i don't Zero. know if you look if i look at the amazon chart it
4: reminds me very much of the industrials like utex and stuff like that in the beginning of this year where everybody was in them they just started to rip and then they fell apart so to me if mm. i'm putting a new dollar today i don't want to be exposed to that i want to know where my stop up point is obviously amazon's got a ton of momentum but i'd rather be selling into that over the next month, than actually putting new money into that. Here's today. Put your finger up. This is here's another when you choice. Want to play a game. This yeah. Here's another choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And this is, goes beyond would you wag. rather here. Would you put a fresh dollar to work in either of these names, given the market context that we are in right now?
0: Uh, given the market cut, co- well, today was obviously an interesting day. I mean, the S&P closed on the low. The VIX was ex- higher all day. People have different reasons for that happening. But we've talked about a day where the, effectively the S&P is unchanged and the VIX goes higher. may be a short-term reversal to the downside. You saw that today. So to answer your question, the answer is no.
3: Well, I think in this environment, Apple's very defensive. I mean, let's be clear. This is it's, Depending on how you want to value it, whether it's X cash or with the cash or what they're doing, um, this is a stock that is very, very defensive, especially with how they can support the stock through buybacks. I don't think there's going to be a special div. I don't think that there's going to be any major M&A. I think it's a stock that really can plow through here. And frankly, with what we can argue is maybe a, a B minus on this 10 release, um, the stock's still doing just fine. This is the one I'd buy. Um, I, I, I still think the market, we got CPI tomorrow, we got PPI later in the week. I think these are big things for the. Yeah, market. there's a lot of risk out there. I don't think you have to be a hero in this, and that's why I did pick Apple,
4: because you know where your stop out. Effectively, your stop is, you know, last week's low if you want to do something like that. But there is a lot of stuff under the hood here in this market that does not look good. The industrials look terrible today. We can go down the list. You know, interest rates, not really doing that great throughout the world.
3: Not really supportive of a market that should well, be. higher, so I'd be, be concerned. Agreeing with you, and, and what's the big problem with Boeing. It's Boeing. I, I mean, you know, Boeing and Caterpillar sold off because of the insane runs they went on.
1: All right. Let's settle this debate with mm. the charts. The chart master Carter worth of quarterstone macro is at the plasma to help us through. Hey, Carter.
5: Hi there. I'm not sure I can uh, sort of win the debate one way or the other, but let's uh, look at some facts and figures. Uh, you guys have covered a lot of it. There's evaluation issues. There's also growth. We know Amazon's better. There's also defense, Apple. Um, but I thought we'd step back and look at some comparative charts and then get to the individual stocks. So here we have a one-year chart, and you all touched on this, of course, it's the spread, right? I mean, so you can interpret this two ways. Is Amazon the better stock because it's outperforming and it's got better growth? Or is Apple the better opportunity because it can play catch up? But we know the spread is what it is. Now, that's one year. What about if I do it over five? Grasso talked about this. This is a fairly uh, epic spread. How about over a longer term? How about over 10 years? I mean, now, again, it's that same double, but... What if I went back 20? Here's the real truth. They are identical. So that at this point, long term, you could say, well, who has the better growth going forward? Let's just go back to the here and now chart and then try to figure out. It's about this spread. Apple, to my eye, has the prospects of breaking out above well-defined tops, whereas Amazon looks a bit stretched. So let's go to the individual charts themselves. Here is the Amazon chart. Here is the channel in which it has been living. The past, um, well, six, seven months. And in principle, you often stay within the channel and you don't get out. So the next possible move could quite be to the downside. Whereas Apple has made no progress in the better part of four months. And I think the way you can draw the lines is this, just starting to break out. It's obviously the one that's closer to um, I think uh, getting to the milestone that you all were talking about. I- I'd prefer Apple.
1: All right, Carter comes over. Got it. the point, oh, Kelly
5: approach well,
0: there, the no triple tops I the saw. No tri- right. right, and he, well, he visually showed <laughs> yeah, it. Exactly,
3: the they don't write about <laughs> no, this. do I'm they? Saying, <laughs> not in that book. <laughs> yeah. Where, where'd you get that book?
1: <laughs> so what does this say about technology overall, which is outperformed?
5: Well, so so much of the so much of the market depends on. We know that the top five stocks are the same value as the bottom 250 in the S&P, about 3.7 trillion, and we know that every day they manage to tack on another, and yet it can stop like that. Look at Netflix, right? Whether it's a little bit of a, a report or something, there's more vulnerability and, of course, more um, potential in something that's dynamic, like um, Amazon, but you embrace risk with that, whereas. A stock that's made no progress, that's technically just breaking out above well-defined tops, it's tough to turn that back.
2: So, Carter, if I had to ask where you're at in the S&P, that would probably be reflective of where you're at on Apple or Amazon because they rely on, on each other, basically, so it's six half dozen of the other. So where?:, where are you?
5: you as you know. So we had a Friday, it was the 26th of January, one goalpost. We had a Friday, uh, Feb 9th, it's the other goalpost. I don't think we exceed either goalposts for months. I think you've seen a rain, uh, you've set the set the markers, and it's going to take a lot to get above that consensus. Eighty-five percent is that we would make a quick new high. We're mm. already a month and a half later. We haven't done that.
1: So within technology, besides the top five stocks, semiconductors have also been a huge outperformer. Does that chart look intact?
5: Uh, that's also quite steep. I mean, that's the nature of this uh, uh, this circumstance, which is. Breath, as defined, while well, financials have come to life a little bit, every time something starts to get better, then another thing falters, as industrials are sort of doing today. A lot of consumer stocks. In fact, just consider last week, as a statistic, very good week for the market. Five of the 10 worst stocks were consumer discretion. Yes? 24 of the worst 50 were consumer discretion. We're getting idiosyncratic weakness in certain parts of the market that would argue you're not going to take out that top goalpost, even though tech is making new highs.
4: So, Carter, I mentioned UTECH, some of the industrials looked a lot like Amazon does now, at least the chart did, right? You had this parabolic move, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they just snapped. What do investors in Amazon need to look for to say, oh, you know what, this thing's about to snap? Well,
5: if you think about it, so let's think about non-tech great winners that have rolled. McDonald's, yes, Cat, uh, and, and now Boeing, sorry. It's, it's, it's the rate of ascent starts to abate. It starts to sort of quietly go nowhere, and then you get that first little hook down, then you get another. And all of a sudden, that's what it looks like, because it's very rare to just go straight up and then straight back down. So it should be a stall and then a, a roll.
1: Carter, good to see you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Carter Braxton Worth of Cornerstone Macro. What do we do today, Tim? Today was a very interesting day given the industrial move. We had the VIX higher, but we were basically at the flatline all day. Well,
3: you know, it's funny because Carter brought up the retail sector. And if you look at the XRT relative to the S&P, it's, it's down uh, about 7.5% since, you know, kind of mid-February. Or actually the, that Feb 9 goalpost. post. Um, and think about the numbers we had on Friday. Think about what's, what's actually ailing the market. It may be what's benefiting the consumer. Um, When you look at the Walmarts and the Targets, and we talked about this last week, the big kind of staples, hardline uh, retailers have been under a lot of pressure. Those are ones that are setting up for a buy. Um, It's not time yet, but I'm absolutely watching those names. And Macy's is also a name I'm ready to get back in. What did you do today? Well, for
4: me, I was, again, looking at all these charts that look like they wanted to break out because I do think we're in the deep end of the pool. So you look at some of the tech names, Guy mentioned, you know, Micron, NVIDIA, those type of names. Those all, to me, look like they want to continue to make new highs. But at the same time, I still caution, I would not be all in on this market. There's a lot under the surface, as Carter
2: mentioned, as Tim mentioned, that's just not right. We talked about Amazon and I look the, uh, a different way on this. Alibaba, if you can't get around the valuation on Amazon, you don't want to buy a stock that's $1,600. You buy a stock that's 192, a little pricey, but it's doing the same exact things as Amazon did every step of the way. I expect this to be well over 200 short, sooner rather than later. We mentioned Micron because Namura
0: raised their price target, I think from $50 or $55 to $100. Obviously, said a lot of different reasons, not least of which potential m in the space. And, you know, it's not far-fetched to think that Micron couldn't be trading 100 within the next six months or so, given the valuation and given how strong pricing Did is in the Did you say trading
1: space. to 100 in the next six months?
0: Yes, trading to 100 wow. over the next six months, given how strong <clears throat> pricing yeah. is wow. in the sector. that's a big number at 40 valuation. bucks said
2: it was a double, right? So th- this guy could look uh, very smart again. Perhaps. Mm. Coming
1: up, industrials getting slammed as fears. The trickle down effect of the Trump tariffs might end up hurting companies like Boeing and Caterpillar. How bad could it get? We will explain. Plus, one of the largest asset managers in the crypto world, Grayscale, launching a slew of new products this month to capture the rise of the altcoins. Michael Sunshine will be here to give us all the details. You're watching Fast Money. We are live from Times Square in New York City. We've got much more show coming up right after this.
4: We're going to keep uh, talking about NAFTA. We don't link together the tra- tariffs and the negotiations of NAFTA, but we're happy to continue to move forward on the negotiations, but uh, really just highlighting that uh, imposition of tariffs from, on Canada uh, would end up hurting the U.S. Uh, almost as much as it would hurt Canada.
1: That was Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau talking tariffs to our dear Drabosa earlier today. Trade war fears weighing on the big industrial names, as we had mentioned before. Boeing, Caterpillar, United Technologies, all significantly lower. So will a trade war bring down these once-high flyers? Is this a buying opportunity, Tim? Uh,
3: It's not going to bring down Boeing. Let's be clear. I mean, their order book is off the charts, and and, and when I look at also people's ability to navigate outside of Boeing, they don't have a lot of options for what these guys do. So um, as we talked about last block, I, I think in the case of Boeing and Caterpillar, these are names that have had phenomenal runs. In Boeing's case, it's more defendable, I think, both in terms of the global trade picture uh, and the valuation because it's a free cash flow yield of 24 bucks by 2019 a share, which is very impressive, whereas Caterpillar, I'm scratching my head a little bit. Caterpillar has a lot of global competition. Let's be clear. You want to go out and buy some farming equipment or some some construction equipment, you can go to Kubota, you can go go all over the world. So that would be a name I worry about. GM and the autos, also, I think this is an opportunity to pick these things up. I think you're going to get fresh data points when we get first quarter numbers, to hear that these guys are clicking along and maybe the outlook changes, I doubt it.
1: I have two questions about Boeing, though. Maybe somebody here some can help. Ask them slowly,
3: because when you ask two in a row, can ask the second one. Okay, I'll one ask first. the
1: first one first and then uh, the second one second. How's that's that? That's way to do the it. The first one would maybe be… Maybe split
3: oh. it up between those two guys, too. <laughs> Just to would make be, it Yes, they have
1: an order book. But if there are t- if there are tariffs, won't their input costs go up, and therefore their EPS would have to be ratcheted down, no matter what the order books? I'm glad
3: you're asking these guys. <laughs>
0: ratcheted <laughs> down, but how much isn't it ratcheted
3: I, down? I, I My don't know. is somewhere between
0: five and eight percent. And if you look at the recent guidance they gave, they were, Boeing raised guidance from about eleven dollars and ninety cents to thirteen and a half dollars, made what was a very expensive valuation of close to thirty times forward earnings very reasonable valuation at 21 so even if they would have to lose Pay some EPS, something. I still think it's a fairly valued stock.
1: Here's my second question mm-hmm. and I'm asking these in order as you can right. note here. So B. The second question <laughs> would be they have a big order book but isn't it possible that these orders, because they're so long term, get cancelled? Mm-hmm. Right, They're not paying. I, to me, price. that's the concern.
2: <laughs> to me, that's the concern who? is that replaced they replace not replaced.
1: Not replaced, and that's replaced, the problem.
4: Right, it, it becomes a real trade war where right. all of a sudden everybody goes to Airbus, right, and they they can't buy from Boeing. And you know what? Then Boeing's kind of out of luck on that one. So to me, I don't think this is a buying opportunity at all in Boeing. I
2: get, it. I don't think he gets super hurt. But I wouldn't go and stick my neck out on Boeing here. Boeing has defied the laws of of gravity and probability. I've been in and out of the name. I feel like I bought it really well. I Mm -hmm. sold it what I thought was perfect, and then it doubled from there. So I I look like an idiot when I sold it. I think that these still have a lot of runway ahead of it. But when you look at defense names or the aerospace names, once you take North Korea off the table, that takes the tailwind out of it, too. Just... I, I, as so far as things get more peaceful emotions emotions, so that's something that no one's talking about but the algorithms read those headlines as Super bearish when you look at this. Do you really think things are getting more yeah. peaceful? No No, oh, but okay. I think the algorithms read it as more peaceful and just one headline or two headlines if it goes to because three, if, four, if you do I've you got a jet to, to, to sell you <laughs> <maintain>. no, I mean, <laughs> you know.
0: Under the scenario that Brian Kelly uh, just outlined, we have a lot more (laughs) things to worry about than just Boeing under that specific Uh, scenario. Why are you pointing like that? Right, but Boeing's at at the
4: epicenter of it. Yes, right? Boeing is at the epicenter. But it's more than just cost. In a trade war, orders get canceled. All right.
1: Coming up. Celebrity CEO Elon Musk at the South by Southwest conference in Austin over the weekend. He said something that got uh, shares of Tesla surging. You've got all the details. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast.
2: There are competitors with deep pockets who are going to hire the same producers, the same people to go and create compelling content. Because of that, they do not have a moat like an Amazon. They do not have a moat like a, uh, a Google.
5: The words that took down Netflix as short-seller Andrew takes aim at the streaming giant. But according to one of our traders, left is missing a major point. We'll explain. Plus, I can't, I can't do it. That's how Bitcoin investors feel of late as the crypto carnage rages on. But a looming key event could change that. We'll tell you what that is and how you can profit when fast money returns.
6: ...is a digital decentralized currency. That basically means Bitcoin only exists as computer code, and there is no bank or government creating or controlling it. And I know that this is already a little hard to understand, so I'll let this man in a Bitcoin suit give you a surprisingly (laughs) decent explanation. I'm a virtual currency. (laughs) Worldwide, you can send for little to no fees. Open source, not controlled by any government, corporation, or individual. It's
7: financial freedom, bro.
1: Is that what you were doing the other day? Uh, <laughs> Fast Money may have been among the first to cover the Bitcoin craze, but as you can see, some late-night shows are getting in on the trend. That was HBO's Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, breaking down the dangers and opportunities in cryptocurrencies as Wall Street dives deeper into the movement. Bob Pisani is breaking it down from the NYSE. Hi, Bob.
6: A lot of people getting in, Melissa. Bitcoin may have had a lousy run last week. It was down 23%, but that's not stopping Wall Street from adopting new products around cryptocurrencies. So important thing here today, Thomson Reuters launched a Bitcoin sentiment gauge to track and analyze chatter about Bitcoin on over 400 websites, many specific to cryptocurrencies to capture the market moving sentiment and themes. On Friday, Fundstrat's Thomas Lee introduced the Bitcoin misery index. This is my favorite, a proxy for how investors feel about Bitcoin's price action. So it's currently at 19 out of 100 possible points. That's the lowest reading since it hit 16 in September 2011. It's been backdated. Like other sentiment indicators, this is a contrarian indicator. So when it's at extreme levels, in this case, it's at extreme lows, it's proven to be a good buying opportunity in the past as it was in September 2011, November 2012, January 2015, September 2016, all hit similar lows. Also last week, right here on Fast Money, Coinbase launched the Coinbase Index Fund that will give investors exposure to all assets listed on Coinbase's institutional exchange weighted by market capitalization. Now, it currently includes Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin, and Ethereum, though other cryptocurrencies could be added in the future. For now, the fund will only be available to U.S. Reddits resident accredited investors. And the creators behind the Bitcoin Investment Trust are expanding their offerings. Grayscale Investments added four new trusts last week that each hold positions in a single cryptocurrency, including Ethereum, Litecoin, XRP, and Bitcoin Cash to the offerings that the firm already provides. Now, like Coinbase's product, Grayscale's new trusts will be offered to accredited investors with a minimum $10,000 investment. But unlike Coinbase, Grayscale has a one-year investing, period. Back to you, Melissa.
1: All right, Bob. Thank you. Bob Pisani at the NYSE. Um, BK, what do you make of the, this, the, all these new products hitting the market?
4: Yeah, listen, it's, it's what I thought would happen with this space. It is becoming a new asset class. You called it that last week when we were out in San Francisco. Wall Street is coming at this. It's a new asset class, so now you need new products. So, you know, I, I in, in the long run, obviously, am still quite bullish uh, on this space. I might even have to move my, uh, trade my bear suit in for that Bitcoin suit, which mm. <laughs> would be nice. That's
1: pretty sweet. Yeah. For more on this, uh, let's bring in Michael Sunshine. He's the managing director of Grayscale Investments, the largest asset manager in the digital currency space. They created the Bitcoin Investment Trust and the four new single currency funds you just heard about. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Um, what sort of investing gap do these products fill? Why wouldn't I just buy with no limitations in terms of me being accredited or the minimum amount I could put in or the vesting period? Why wouldn't I just buy the digital currency?
7: Sure. So Grayscale has been at this actually since late 2013. Um, We recognize that investors wanted exposure to digital currencies. Digital currencies are not like stocks and bonds and all the other things that you buy. There's certain technological prowess that people need to have to handle them, uh, store them securely, et cetera. And so by launching products that allow people to gain the exact same exposure, but through the purchase of a security, well, all of a sudden it becomes something that people can really wrap their heads around. And particularly for institutional investors, which is where probably most of our flows have come from recently, custody is a big issue for a lot of these institutions. And when you start involving the chief risk officer, the lawyers, the accountants, et cetera, having a product with a CUSIP that's audited is something that really checks a lot of the boxes for them.
4: So, Michael, you mentioned something that we've talked about a lot here is this institutional money coming in. Uh, I've heard both sides of that. The institutions want nothing to do with it. And then, yes, they're actually looking for a way to get into it. From where you sit, it sounds like they're using your products to get into this.
7: They are. So Grayscale now has about $2 billion in assets under management across eight different products. Seven of them are single currency vehicles. And then, as Bob just reported, we have a diversified offering, the digital large cap fund. And so a lot of institutions probably about 18 months ago started reaching out to us saying they want exposure to the space and everybody had a different reason for it. Maybe it was digital gold, maybe it was starting to impact other technology investments they had. Healthcare really runs the gamut. And we're seeing flows from everyone, from value investors, technology investors, global macro investors. It's really across the spectrum.
1: Are investors at all put off by the notion or the fact that uh, for instance, for the, for the Bitcoin Investment Trust, at least, it trades at a premium to its underlying assets, the NAV. Yes.
7: Yeah, so Bitcoin Investment Trust has been trading at a premium for the past two and a half years on the OTCQX market. We actually just filed um, with Canaccord Genuity, a broker-dealer, the application to get our Ethereum Classic product also quoted, which we hope to accomplish uh, a little bit later this year. And so those are really driven by supply and demand. Um, there's clearly quite a bit more uh, demand for these products on the market than there is supply of them. And I actually think one of the days that was probably most validating for us and what we're doing at Grayscale is when we actually saw in late December, GBTC actually eclipsed the notional trading volume of the Spider Gold ETF on two days this past December. So that's an instrument that institutions use and have been using for over a decade to gain exposure to gold. Well, here's a mechanism for institutions to gain exposure to Bitcoin.
1: So for a long time, you've had sort of this lock on this part of the market in terms of how you invest in a digital currency with GBTC. Do you feel like you're sort of losing that competitive advantage as more and more products roll out into the market?
7: Well, I think it's actually probably more validating than anything to see other entrants coming into the space. The digital large cap fund, for example, compared to some other index products that you may see have recently been announced or recently launched, it's adaptive, right? There's a rules-based methodology for it that allows people to gain exposure to about 70% of the digital currency market with a singular investment. And because we rebalance the fund every quarter, we're always looking at changing market conditions within the digital currency landscape so that people really are staying true to that 70% coverage as opposed to what may or may not be available on a particular platform, et cetera. I think the other thing that's super, you know, is differentiating about Grayscale is that we've taken probably a little bit more of the traditional asset management approach, we license all of our data um, indexes from a company called TradeBlock mm. so that all of the pricing sources are external. Um, we've sourced outsource custody to third-party custodians, et cetera. So we've really focused on putting together the best of breed service providers around our products, um, and we're just going to continue rolling out more products as investors are asking for them.
2: So, Michael, we've seen companies put Bitcoin in their title just to uh, cause a spike in their stock. Sure. Do, you, do you ever look at not only the currencies, but do you look at companies that really have exposure to these currencies that are really Bitcoin or blockchain place?
7: So for us, our focus is squarely on digital currencies themselves. Um, we have not been making any kind of investment structures around companies that are exploring IoT or exploring any kind of blockchain-related investments. Um, as I'm sure you guys have covered quite a bit, there are several ETFs now that are looking at those types of offerings. And I think that's great because investors are certainly out there asking for that type of exposure. Um, but at the moment, it's not a place where Grayscale is focusing uh, its efforts.
1: So in terms of the altcoin-specific products that you recently um, launched, what, what has the <coughs> uptake been? we so who we're, has bought them?
7: Yeah, so we're only about a week or so since we made that announcement. And so the four newest offerings were individual products for Litecoin, Ethereum, Ripple, and Bitcoin Cash. Um, And the uptake has actually been fantastic. There's a lot of investors who um, want to be able to place targeted exposure in a fund like any of the aforementioned ones. Um, And there are also investors who want that more diversified exposure like the digital large cap fund offers.
3: Michael, from a portfolio management perspective, so your new fund is is a blended fund. And Mm -hmm. so talk about how active that is, those allocations. The landscape changing by day. Um, And, you know, you guys obviously claim expertise in the space. Sure. You know, what's your edge in the portfolio?
7: Well, so it's a rules-based methodology. So every quarter we're going to evaluate what tokens have and haven't fallen into that 70% target of the overall market cap of the digital currency landscape. Of course, there's other qualifiers and disqualifiers. There's got to be a liquid market. We have to have a custodial solution that we feel really is secure and robust and allows us to continue to operationally support the product. Um, But by looking at it on a quarterly basis, Basis, we really think we're going to continue to give investors the right exposure mm-hmm. that really gives them the broadest coverage of the market.
1: You mentioned the uptake has been really great for these uh, individual altcoin products, but it coincides with this time where crypto has not been doing well. <laughs> sure. do, you, do you feel like perhaps you're not getting the uptake that you would have gotten otherwise? I mean, what, what do you think about if you had to reengineer this rollout, would it have sure. been at a time when crypto would be on an upswing?
7: Actually, not at all. I mean, I certainly will agree with you that the numbers speak for themselves in terms of performance, but in terms of wallet growth and transactions and the number of users coming into the space, the amount of people writing into our website, calling us, et cetera, we're continuing to break records all the time. Um, we're seeing brand-new relationships and different reasons why investors are wanting to come to the table. And so for us, we hope that we're ahead of the curve by launching these products, not behind it. And, again, we're, our ears are and our eyes are open. We're listening to investors. We want to keep launching products that, that they want exposure to. All
1: right, Michael, thanks for your time. Thanks. Good to see you, Michael Sun and Shine. Grayscale, uh, the holy grail would be to get investors and more institutional money into this space. If
0: the, like the advisory world can, mm-hmm. you know, right. If, right, it opens a huge potential market. I mean, that's I think that is the holy grail. Now, I can't speak. King can probably speak to that. But if you can open it up for the advisory accounts out there, that that just is a tremendous world for them to open.
4: Yeah, that's that. That's still the challenge in the space, as Michael had mentioned. There's a custody issues around this, but those are being solved. So I would think in the next six months or so, you're going to have solutions that advisors can be involved in.
1: Still ahead, famed short seller Andrew Left has a new target, Netflix, but if history is any indication the stock could be about to take off, we'll explain. Plus, check out shares of Stitch Fix, the recent IPO sinking after its earnings report. The conference call is underway as we speak, and we'll bring you all the details. Much more Fast Money straight ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Andrew Left has been called the bounty hunter of Wall Street. He sniffs out corporate fraud, compares companies to Enron and Madoff, and now he's short Netflix. Here's why.
2: Apple can do what Netflix does, but can Netflix do what Apple does? And you could say that about all the things, Amazon and Google. As much as it is a technology stock, the moat does not there to justify the huge price increases that we've seen the past few weeks.
1: But is Netflix an unshortable stock? Don't you get your face ripped off when you short this thing? No,
0: and and the point to Andrew, I mean, Andrew always makes intelligent points. He clearly does his work, but everything he just said has been true at $100 a share to it, right? So, I mean, this has been a constant theme. Maybe he's going to be right this time. Very good chance. They report, I think, April 22nd. Their international growth has been off the charts. A lot of people point to telecom companies giving away Netflix for free. There's a lot of yings and yangs i still think the netflix is going higher I do think Netflix um, can, is, can be commoditized at remote? a certain point. <laughs> See, I wasn't going to use the word. i <laughs> Because yeah. yeah. you wanted me to use it, and I didn't use it think about for that remote? purpose. So you're saying right. the moat's. But moved. it's a distribution company
3: that has a head start of at least five years. It's going to be very hard to catch up. And, and, you know, Andrew's pointed to the short interest being at 10-year lows, et cetera, et cetera, which, which is, is is a technical point and, and certainly not the reason to short the stock. Um, but, you know, Andrew's made some good points. I mean, there's no question to me the stock is crazy expensive, whether it's a content play or whether it's a delivery play. Um, so I guess one plus one equals three in this case. Um, I still think that there is enormous competition, and I still think it's Disney. I think it's Hulu. I think it's. But you people- wouldn't short it. Sounds no, like I wouldn't it. short it, and I've never shorted it. And, and I will say that this is a company that's absolutely recreating. It's creating a term. We now Netflix stuff, like we Google stuff. I mean, this company has changed the world. But at what valuation, folks, and 72% even after a 3% pullback this year, year to date?
2: Yeah. It does, it, it's, at one point, it's going to matter. It doesn't matter now. The stock's up 67% year to date. And we used to look at it as being gobbled up by the competition. And now it looks like the one that's going to survive. The interface is just too damn easy. I would never oh. bet against this stock. Yeah, it's a tough stock to short. I don't know what the catalyst is this time, to Guy's point. These
4: issues have been out there for a long time. So is there a catalyst now? I don't see it. You know, that being said, the one thing that I would say uh, is that the uh, people giving it away, giving Netflix away, to me is a positive. That locks users in. I mean, think about how you gave away iPhones. That locks users into that ecosystem. So I don't view that as a negative. You giving away any Bitcoin? I didn't give any way, any Bitcoin. Ah. Would you like some? Yeah, i take right. some. <laughs>
1: Thanks. Coming up, Tesla surging after some surprising comments from CEO Elon Musk at the South by Southwest conference this weekend. We'll tell you what he said that got investors so excited. Plus, Dropbox is one of the first big unicorns ramping up for its $8 billion debut in the next few weeks. We'll tell you what Wall Street's saying later this hour. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Elon Musk speaking out on everything from artificial intelligence to the space race at the South by Southwest Conference over the weekend. Julie Borson joins us now from the conference in Austin, Texas with all the details. Hi, Julia.
8: Hey, Melissa. Elon Musk drew a packed audience. Very interested to hear his updated timeline for his plan to put a human colony on Mars.
2: We are building the first uh, ship, the first Mars um, or, inter- or interplanetary ship. Um, Right now, and I think we'll be able, to be able to do short flights, short sort of up and down flights, um, probably sometime in the first
5: half of next year.
8: Now, Musk did acknowledge that his timelines can, timelines can be ambitious, which drew some laughter. And he said, though, that after Mars has infrastructure in place, like glass domes, that there will be an explosion of entrepreneurial opportunities. Saying that Mars will need everything from iron foundries to pizza pizza joints. To mo- bars, Musk also raised red flags about artificial intelligence. He warned that AI he believes is more dangerous than nuclear warheads, though he did praise the potential for AI to improve auto safety. He predicted that by the end of next year, self-driving cars will be as much as 200% safer than human drivers. And he weighed in on the challenges facing Tesla. Tesla just confirming today that it recently halted production on the Model 3 for a week in February.
2: Well, right now, the only things that are really stressing me out in a big way are AI, obviously. Um, that's, like, always there. And uh, and am uh, working really hard on Tesla Model 3 production. Um, and uh, we're making good progress, but it's hugely hard work.
8: And one more surprise from Elon Musk. When asked about the source of his inspiration... He said Fred Astaire and Kanye West. Not what I would have expected, Melissa.
1: <laughs> Not what anybody would have expected, Julia. Thank you. Julia Borston um, at South by Southwest in Austin. Well, shares of Tesla really, the real winner of Musk's comments, the stock surging today, despite the Model 3 production halt. So should you be a believer in Tesla or is Elon Musk just the greatest showman ever?
2: Um, probably a little bit of both. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's very difficult to bet against this gentleman. It's, uh, the stock is just on fire constantly. And when it dips, there's always buyers on dips. Short interest is still 23%. So any hint of new, uh, good news or better than expected bad news is going to be bought in the marketplace. I would think the 50-day is probably your support. Three thirty-five. Okay. So if you're going to put new money to work right now, use that as your stop-out in case the stock fails.
1: By the way, the production halt that Julie had mentioned was a planned production halt. It was right. part of the production plan, so don't jump to any conclusions on First that.
3: First of all, Elon Musk is unbelievable. I mean, this guy's sitting there. What was that background kind of like? In, like He's like in a cave or something. I saw. By the way, I saw a wrinkle in time yesterday with my daughter, and I expected Elon Musk to be the answer on how they got back to Earth. But, you know, bottom line is, if you think about what happened with the production of the Model 3 towards the end of the last quarter, they were actually getting very close. I mean, they, they, they totally missed their numbers, but they removed a lot of bottlenecks in the last you know, few days of the quarter. Um, they actually had 793 cars, which was well ahead of the pace set. So, you know, I, I, you know, I'm snarky. I've been snarky about their ability to hit their targets, and I think that's largely been right. Um, it has not been a reason to hold back the yeah. stock right. as Steve talked about.
1: I have a few things to add. Oh, we don't have you know this is a TV show where no, we're up against the clock here.
0: You know, don't say you went with your daughter. You went by yourself to see a rental <laughs> time because you were dying to see it. And you were the one, clearly the only one that saw that. Number one. Number two, on <laughs> wow. Friday, the Friday. chief <laughs> accounting officer decides to step down. We talked about it, we said the stock should be down more than it was, mm-hmm. probably an opportunity that just went from 329 to 325. Here it is now. So to Steve's point. It's impervious to bad news.
1: Well, options traders are betting shares of Tesla are heading even higher. Let's get to Mike O., who's joining us from sunny Pensacola, Florida, with more on this. Hey, Mike.
2: Hi there. Yeah, so we saw about one and a half times the average daily call volume. And the early action was in the March 340 calls, a bunch of those trading for about 5 bucks. But if you followed the stock, you saw it traded well today and actually ended up above that on the close. And the most active call options turned out to be the March 350s, over 10,000 of those trading for just under three bucks, so those are bets that is going to be above three fifty-three by the end of this week. So right. options traders bullish on this one.
1: Thanks for that, Mike. Mike Cohen, Florida. For more on more options action, check out the full show Friday at five thirty p.m. Eastern time. All right, still ahead. Check out shares of Stitch Fix, one of last year's biggest IPOs. The stock is sinking after reporting earnings. We'll hear from the CEO about what drove the quarter. And speaking of IPOs, Dropbox, one of the many unicorns getting ready to pull the trigger and make its public debut. But will it live up to the hype? We've got all the details. We're live from Times Square in New York City. We've got much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Stitch Fix. Let's get to Kate Rogers back at headquarters. Hi, Kate.
8: Hi there, Melissa. It was a mixed second quarter for Stitch Fix, the online closing subscription service. This is the company's second report since going public. They beat on revenues but missed on earnings. The company also increased its monthly users to $2.5 That's up more than half a million for the quarter. On the call, CEO Katrina Leak said the company is use- using algorithmic rebuying tools to help better determine demand for items among clients by age and demographic. COO Mike Smith touted partnerships with brands like Calvin Klein and Tahari. They also added that the size of their men's subscription service is about two-thirds the size of their women's, but men have demonstrated they will spend about 80 percent of what women spend. Stitch Fix also announced some board changes, adding Kirsten Lynch to the board. Lynch is currently the CMO at Vail Resorts. For the year, the stock is down some five percent, in after hours, as you can see, down around four. Back over to you. All right, thank you very much, Kate Rogers.
3: Guy, yeah, you're at like 120%, right? I yeah, mean, uh, I well, mean uh, what, or more at times, men. right? I mean, you no, no you're a stitch That's why man. he's wearing the yeah. shirt from like hair. 10
0: years ago. Song. Uh, yeah. Sure. I just like holding things for a long period of time. I get the most usage yeah. out of that. I think it's very thrifty. and admirable. I appreciate that.
1: Anyway, as far as this business goes...
0: It's a ridiculous valuation. The stock ran up 7% today. I think it's probably given up half of that in the after hours. I don't see any compelling reason. No moats. There's no moats. moats. They are growing their client base. I mean, they're up to 2.5 million people. They're going to grow next quarter as well. But I think the valuation is too rich.
4: Yeah, I, I'm with Guy on this. I mean, listen, they may be growing their client base, but it doesn't seem like there's much of a chance. I mean, it's easy to get into this business. Why can't Macy's start doing this? I mean, why do I need? Or why stimulus? does
8: why doesn't
1: Amazon start doing yeah. this? Well, yes, do. I feel exactly. like for every every service out there that is like this, where they send you things in a box every month, mm-hmm. Amazon can do that very easily. No.
3: This is this is we've seen this. This is also a valuation that really makes no sense. Uh, I'm not sure how they even got this thing off. So, no, I wouldn't touch there it. There is a 40% short interest. We, we we're remiss if we didn't say that. So you talk about a hint
2: of good news anywhere. There's a 40% short interest. So even in a stock that we're not anywhere near being on board with, you could see a pop.
1: All right. Sticking with hot IPOs, Tech Unicorn Dropbox ramping up for its long-awaited public debut with a valuation of around $8 billion. Leslie Picker is
9: back at headquarters with the details. Hi, Leslie. Hey, Melissa. That's right. That $10 billion valuation is about a 20% discount from their most recent private round back in 2014 when the company, of course, was valued at ten billion million. 4 years later Dropbox is embarking today on a roadshow to meet with investors and asking for a valuation between 7 and 8 billion dollars on a fully diluted basis using a non-diluted share count which will be reflected when the company begins trading Dropbox's market cap is looking at between 6 and 7 billion dollars Dropbox also revealed today that Salesforce is purchasing about 100 million dollars worth of the company's shares through a private placement at the closing of the IPO. Salesforce's venture arm had actually invested previously in Dropbox as well through its Series C fundraise. Now Dropbox posted its marketing video online today where CEO Drew Houston spoke about the business model for the file sharing company.
7: We've created a unique playbook and it's a hybrid model. So we combine both the scale and virality of a consumer internet company with the predictability and monetization of a SaaS company. And when you put the two together, you have an incredibly efficient business at scale.
9: Now, regardless of business model, it's the latest unicorn to test the public markets and the discrepancies between Silicon Valley and Wall Street are alive and well with today's valuation figures. Melissa.
1: All right, thank you very much, Leslie Picker. Let's talk about what kind Mm. of moat
3: Mm. I don't don't see any moat here. I mean, this is less of a moat than the moat in guy's backyard. I mean, around his castle at home. I mean, I I think this is a company, first of all, it was valued at $10 billion a few years ago. I mean, it seems like it's slipping. The Salesforce endorsement is huge, though. I mean, I have to say, I mean, if Salesforce puts their name and their capital behind it, I'm impressed. Um, But I I think ultimately, why isn't Microsoft eating their lunch? Or why won't they? I mean, there's Amazon. Or Google. Anybody who does it for free. Right. I mean, why, why do you pay? You can get it for free,
4: same product, for free. Why would you pay? But if you have Salesforce, and to your point, if you have sales, this is not Blue
0: Apron. I mean, if you have Salesforce putting their money yeah. where their mouth is, it's very hard to bet against this stock. I mean, Blue Apron, by the way, closed, I think at an all-time low today, if I'm looking, below, two, uh, right around $2. But I don't think that's what this is, though, especially with the Salesforce endorsement.
4: Sorry about your... The, your moat. I mean, I you've know, got though, a great moat at your house. But wait, wait. on the Salesforce <laughs> endorsement, my mode. Yeah. hang on, on the Salesforce endorsement, endorsement, they've bought into this already. So they need to say, hey, we're going to buy some more to get the IPO price so they can get out of it at a reasonable
1: valuation. I'm not sure that's such a great thing. Or you can say maybe this paves the way for Salesforce to remain involved and maybe buy the entire company. Why wouldn't they the buy line? it now?
4: Why wait for it to go public and go up? You can get it for the lowest price possible now.
1: Hmm. It may go be lower. Okay, it an investment banker. Yeah. I'm
4: just saying. Yeah, I'm banking. As we speak. Yeah.
1: A quick programming note here. Do not miss Jim Cramer's big show from San Francisco. Tonight, he's got interviews with two CEOs and backed Workday and Splunk. That is all tonight, Mad Money, (laughs) 6 p.m. Eastern time from San Francisco. Coming up next, Final Trade. Stay tuned. Final trade time, Tim Seymour.
3: Semis, you have to stay with it. Intel, looking good from here.
1: BK, Brian Kelly.
4: Yeah, techs were all hot today. NVIDIA,
2: they don't write about triple tops for a reason. Russell Steve. Wait for tomorrow, that inflation number, and if it's tame, get into some Alibaba. B-A-B-A. What do you got, J.C.
0: coming up in San Francisco? Big show.
1: Big show out of San Francisco. I wonder wow. if he can
0: hear us right now. Do you think he's, like, plugged in watching the end of Fast Money as For we sure. go into Matt? Why wouldn't he be? If Why he is, he I be? want to say hi to Jim Kramer, who looked outstanding this morning. Yes. Uh, didn't he look nice great? Haircut. Reporting
1: the news about Reporting our own Larry news, Kudlow.
0: It's fantastic. With that said... U.S. Steel gave some guidance after the close, so I think X catches up finally to the rest of the space. Nice Q-tip. Thank you.
1: All right. I'm Melissa Lee. Uh, See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, do not go anywhere. The aforementioned Jim Cramer begins with a very special Mad Money from San Francisco right now.
2: What's on the horizon for financial markets?